So uh, let's open our uh, Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We're going to be looking at verses 14 through 17 together this morning. Paul tells us that, For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, and therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who might live no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Well, good morning, church. <clears throat> that was way better than Matt's, just so you know. Well, I hope you guys had a great Christmas. New Year is approaching. It's the last, according to who you ask, it's the last Sunday of the decade. So I have an incredible honor of preaching on the last Sunday of the decade. So, yeah. Uh, Christmas at our house was fun. Uh, we, have a, we have a six-month-old daughter. It's our first kid. And so I kind of I had a, like a, a cynical bah humbug moment. And I was like, you know, Megan... We don't have to get her anything. <laughs> like she doesn't, she doesn't know that it's Christmas, and she won't, she won't feel like she missed out. And I obviously lost that battle. Uh, and so, of course, it turned into, you know, here's the gift. Let's try to kind of unwrap it. No, don't put it in your mouth. You know, not the paper, not the paper. Uh, but I, f- I figured out that Christmas as, like a, as a father and a husband, has t- it, it took on a new role that my wife didn't necessarily get me anything, but everything that she got Brinley, she didn't tell me. So she was excited for me to see what she got my daughter. And she was like, I'm just so excited for this. And I, I looked at her and I was like, is this our new reality of Christmas? Is this, is this how it's going to be? And she was like, oh, yeah, just kidding. She did get me lots of stuff. Uh, but it was, a, it was a good Christmas. Uh, you know, technically Advent has ended uh, because it's all about Christ's coming. Christ, uh, we celebrate Christ's coming at Christmas, obviously. But we figured that we would add on one more sermon to this series, and we're going to call it New Life. And the reason why we're going to do that is because the knowledge and understanding of, okay, Christ is coming into the world. Christ has came. Okay, here's this Jesus guy. It's great. It changed history. It changed humanity. Uh, If we stop, though, with just the knowledge and the understanding of it, and it doesn't change us, then, then we're falling short. We're, we're, we're missing the mark. We're, we're missing of what everything that it could be. So Christ coming into the earth, into the world, not the earth, but Christ coming into the world was life-changing. It was history-changing. It changes everything. And so the question I have for you today is, has it changed you? Because the knowledge and the understanding of it, 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 it's good. It's good. It's a good thing to have. But if we stop there, we're missing it. And so kind of the takeaway sentence I, I want you guys to have today is, you cannot do life for Christ without doing life with Christ. You cannot do life for Christ without doing life with Christ. 
And that's the sermon, and we can go home. <laughs> but we're going to look at 2 Corinthians to kind of ask this question of, okay, if, if I can't do life for Christ without doing life with Christ, well, then what are some of the marks? What are some of the questions? What are some of the, the ways that I know that I am living life with Christ as opposed to just for, as opposed to just knowledge, as opposed to just an understanding of, of everything that has happened? Has it changed me personally? Has it changed my walk with Christ, my, walk, my daily walk? Has it changed what I daily do? Has it changed me? This passage, 2 Corinthians, uh, particularly particular verse 17, uh, is a verse, if, if you've been in church, like you've, you've heard this verse, right? If you go into Hobby Lobby, it's probably on some wall art, <laughs> right? And, and there's nothing wrong with that. I love Hobby Lobby. Matt and I went there twice. And, you know, just two dudes walking into Hobby Lobby, you just feel so weird. It's like, ah, I should have my wife here. Um, but... <laughs> Is a, pat, is a verse that we've heard a lot, and I would encourage you to hear it with fresh ears. And for those of you who maybe have not heard it, uh, you're hearing it the way we, we should. Uh, but just uh, jumping right into the background of, of 2 Corinthians. So second, it's the second letter that Paul, the author of the letter, has written to the church of Corinth. Corinth was this uh, city that was surrounded with, with, with water on both sides. And so the city itself was just, it was, it was growing. It was like hustle all the time. It was, it was chaos. There was a lot of people coming and going. There's a lot of different cultures. There's a lot of different backgrounds. There's a lot of different people. And so thankfully, the church probably had the makeup of the city. It, it had a lot of different people from different religions that had been converted to Christianity. Had a lot of different types of people. Had a lot of different color. And it was, it, it, it was a beautiful thing, but they looked to Paul as, as their leader. Paul was physically absent, and so what happens is, is these, quote-unquote, super apostles, they come in, and, and they basically take advantage of, of no leader there, physically no leader. And Paul writes them 1 Corinthians and, and just addresses issue after issue after issue after issue. And it seems they seem to respond well to it. They seem to respond well. Titus comes back and he says, hey, you know, they are responding. I see some good things. But then word comes again and it messes up Paul's travel plans. And it says, hey, you know what? They're falling back into their old ways. They're falling back into their old ways. Um, Dr. Tim Savage, in his book, Power Through Weakness, he says this about, like, the, what, what, so what is the true, like, foundational issue that the Corinthians were facing? And he says this, what would have prevented the recently converted Corinthians from approaching their new life in Christ with the same set of expectations with which they once approached their pagan worship? They were recent initiates into a religion of surpassing glory and power, and the very things which people of their day cherished. So I would argue just like now, what these Corinthians were struggling with is they were coming from a background, they were coming from a culture that was saying, it's all about you, it's all about power, it's all about status, it's all about glory, it's all about number one. And when they were converted into Christianity, and as we'll see that's not what it is. It's not about myself anymore. And so these super apostles were, were coming in and they were saying, well, you know, they're kind of doing like the, the elbow nudge. Like, well, did, did, 
does it really say that? Or does it, does it really mean that? And that was, that was the struggle that we see the Corinthians are facing. And so Paul writes them a second letter. Jumping right into verse 14, he says, For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. We see in the very beginning of this passage that Paul's motivation, his primary motivation, was Christ's love. It was Christ. That was Paul's primary motivator. In our culture, well, and, and pretty much all of humankind, right? Paul, it's so easy for us to wash our hands of things, right? So taking Paul's example, like Paul, right, he's a missionary, he's a, he's a preacher, he, he is a tent maker, he is going, he's constantly doing something. Like Paul was probably one of the busiest human beings on ever, right? He always had, had, had stuff happening. And it's so, it, it would have been so easy for Paul to be like, you know what, I'm just so sick of this church. I'm so sick of the same issues popping up over and over and over again. I'm over it, right? I'm just going to wash my hands of you, and I'm going to go focus on all this other stuff. I'm going to focus on all this other stuff because it's good and it's great, and I'm going to put even, you know, I'm going to, and, and we justify it, right? Well, I'm going to be able to put even more effort and energy into the, all of these other things because I'm sick of you guys. But Paul can't do that. And the reason why he can't do that is because it is the love of Christ that controls him. In other translations, it says it's the love of Christ that compels us. Paul's primary motivation for doing what he did and why he did what he did was Christ. It was the love of God that sent his son to earth for us and died on a cross for us, and that is his primary motivator. And so he can't just wash his hands clean of this, of this problematic church, but he's looking at it, and he can see, like, yeah, it was probably a good church at one time, or, oh, you know, it's in this city that's really, like, growing. It would be so great if they would just catch on fire for Christ. Like, those are all good motivators, but they're secondary motivators. The difference between a primary motivator and a secondary motivator. So there's a lot of reasons for me not to cheat on my wife, right? There's a lot of secondary reasons. So for one, I would definitely lose my job, right? You, you guys would fire me, rightly so. You'd be like, you know, Justin, get out. You know, another one is, like, I'm pretty sure my family would adopt her before they would let me live, right? They would, <laughs> they would kick me out. They'd be like, I'm over you. Send us Megan, Another thing is, I don't, I don't know if I could find another woman to put up with me on this earth. Like, I just, I, I don't know if she exists, right? Those are all secondary motivators. I'm not walking along and I'm not walking at the mall and abstaining from looking at other women and abstaining from, from entering into a relationship with another woman because in the back of my mind, I'm like, well, I might lose my job, Right? If that's my motivation, eventually that motivation is just going to go away. Eventually that motivation will just change. But rather, my, prim my primary motivation for not cheating on my wife is because I love her so dearly. And because I am in love with her so much. That is my, mo my primary motivation for not cheating on my wife. 
And the same applies to Paul. His, his primary motivation for everything that he does is because of Christ. It's because of what he did for us. He says, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And so we immediately see Paul's motivation is because of Christ. And we can apply that to our own lives. We can put that in our own lives of, of why we do what we do. And focusing on my primary focus for why I do what I do. It's not to be a, a good person. It's not to be a better preacher. It's not to be a better husband. But rather, it's because of Christ. And all of these secondary motivators, they're good things. And sometimes they are the ones who hold, that holds us into place. But our primary motivation for why we do what we do, for why you do what you do, is the love of Christ. Verse 15. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. So what does a new life, what does is, what is a life with Christ look like? What is a mark? It gives us a new way at looking at ourselves. At looking at ourselves, right? From, from the beginning of, of time, right, man, humans, we're programmed to be selfish, right? We're programmed to look out for number one. This has never been more clear to me in my life than of the last six months of parenthood, <laughs> Right? That is, my, that is my beautiful baby. And my wife was like, do we have to use that picture? I'm like, no, it gets my point across. All right? Brinley. Brinley is awesome. She's a great baby. I say that because she's my kid, right? But I swear, I think the earth stops rotating if that girl is hungry. <laughs> right? If, if she is in the mood to be held and she is not being held, it's like the earth stops rotating. It's like everything has to stop. And you have to focus on her and focus on meeting her needs and meeting her wants, right? Because in reality, right, she, she's just a baby. She doesn't know any better. But that's how she's programmed. And I love her dearly still. <laughs> but the truth is, is as adults, nothing changes. We don't grow out of it. We just figure out better ways to hide it. <laughs> we just figure out better ways of dealing with it. We just figure out a way to bury it. We are programmed to look out for number one, for ourselves. And Paul says to the Corinthians, listen, I want you to get rid of, I want you to let go of your former beliefs. I want you to let go of your relationships. I want you to let go of your former ways. And all of that stuff that is of your culture... Of all that stuff that is important to you and yourself and your own perceived needs and your own perceived wants, it is now no longer number one. Rather, Christ comes into our lives and he changes. He changes how we look at ourselves. For he died for all, for, that all, for those who live might no longer live for themselves. But for him, for their sake, died and was raised. All right, there's, there's nothing more miserable than living for yourself. Like, let's just be honest. Like, if all you ever do is live for yourself, like, those kind of people become the most miserable people. Right? If you think of, if you think of funerals, like, the, the most powerful funerals I've ever been, like, case in point, Brent. 
right? Brimberson. Like the most powerful funerals and memorials I've ever been, it's never been somebody who's like, I'm number one. It's always somebody who is constantly a lower view of one's own importance and saying others are more important. Others' needs are, are, need to be met. Others' wants need to be met. It's not about me anymore, but rather it's about Christ. It's about Christ. And my own view, my own, this humility that is created because of it is one that cannot be replicated. Like, what is, what is a marriage? What is parenthood? What is friendship with, with those who just look out for themselves? It's nothing. It's nothing. And so living a life with Christ, it gives us a new way to look at our own selves, at our own needs, at our own wants, right? And, and this undoubtedly is going to create people who come alongside of us, and they're going to say, hey, like, you're literally the least selfish person I know, or, or why are you so awesome, right? And hopefully in that moment, right, we don't have a, well, it's because I'm awesome. <laughs> but rather we have a moment of, well, Christ came into my life, and Christ set this example for me, so therefore I try to set this example for others. And it's the power of God. It's Christ in me that has changed me to be this way. It gives us a new way of looking at ourselves. Going on to verse 16. It says, From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Living a life with Christ, it gives us a new way of looking at others. So Paul himself, he's, you know, we know, we probably know the story of Paul. Paul was like the number one persecutor of Christians in the time. I, I like to think of as successful as Paul was as a Christian, he probably was as successful as a persecutor, right? This guy, he, like he's no joke, right? He probably was successful at it. And he is transformed and changed, and he has a new way of looking at Christ, who he used to look like he look, used to look at as an enemy, but rather he's now looking at Christ as his savior. And we ourselves, we have that same transformation of how we look at God as a, from an enemy to our savior. But it also changes the way that we look at others. Paul sees people in only two categories, saved and lost. He says it in 16, regard no one according to, we regard no one according to the flesh. In other words, we don't see people in normal human categories that everybody else sees them. We don't see Republican and Democrat. We don't see poor or rich. We don't see privileged and unprivileged. We don't see popular and unpopular or gifted or not gifted. Brother, we just see people in two categories, saved and lost. And the reason why this reality of seeing people like that is we, as the church, are responsible for reaching the world and reaching the lost. And regardless of somebody's status, if they're rich or if, they poor, or if they're poor, we know we can see them and we can say, you need Jesus. Not because you're a terrible person, but because Christ is incredible. And yeah, we are sinners in need of a Savior. And we need to see people in the same light, right, more on a personal level as well. 
I think it's really easy to talk about people out there somewhere like, oh yeah, see them as saved or lost or if they need Jesus, you know. But regardless, uh, within our personal realm of circle, we need to have the same attitude of saved and lost, regardless of what people have done to us, regardless of how people have hurt us, regardless of how people have let us down. We see the world as saved and lost in needing of a Savior as being the primary need. There's a lot of secondary needs, and we need to meet those as well. But looking at reaching the lost and being the church, right? The church is, is God's way of reaching the world and seeing people in need of a Savior. It's a new way of looking at others. In 1912, when the Titanic sunk, right, word gets back to England, and obviously people begin to panic. They're like, oh my gosh, I wonder if my relative or if my friend or if my loved one has, has survived. And so in downtown London, they put a chalkboard and basically put up two categories, and it said saved and lost. And it didn't matter your status on the ship. Right? It doesn't matter if you were like the old lady with the big ring. Like, I don't know her name. Uh, it doesn't matter if, if that's even a real story. I don't know. It was in the movie. Um, <laughs> it doesn't matter if you were in the engine room. It doesn't matter if you were the captain. It, doesn't matter. it didn't matter no matter what your status was on that ship. It was saved and lost. And we as the church looking at people saved and lost, how can I reach my brother or my sister or my coworker or my teammate or my friend for Christ? And never letting that, never letting that escape. I have dear loved ones who, I, I don't know if they have a relationship with Christ. I don't know. I grew up with them and they grew up in church with me, but I don't know. And I never, ever, ever want to forget. I never, ever want to miss an opportunity to share the love of Christ with them. No matter how close no, like we become, no matter how distant we become, I never, ever want to get to a point where I forget that their primary, most desperate need in their life is in need of a Savior. Verse 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Living a life with Christ, it gives us a different way of looking at our purpose, a new way of looking at our purpose. There's, uh, there's four statements in here that we're going to analyze, which is basically the whole verse. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, that's the first one, right? So this idea of like being in Christ is, is like way more ever than a 25, 30 minute sermon. Like we could do an entire sermon series on it. We could, there's been books written about it. There's been textbooks written about it. It's like this idea of, of what is it, what does it truly mean to be in Christ is way, way more information than we have time right now, so I don't want to keep you guys to like four o'clock. Uh, <laughs> but in Christ, this can mean several things, and, and I'll, I'll give you four statements of what it can mean, and, and these are not mutually exclusive. So the first thing it can mean is the one that belongs to Christ. Like, I belong to Christ. He is my Savior. 
I belong to him. The second one is the one that lives in the sphere of Christ's power. Right? So I know in everything that I do, like Christ, Christ, it is through Christ's power that I'm able to reach my friends and family. It is through Christ's power that I have a, a humble, a humility view, a lower view of my own importance. Recognizing that everything that I do on a daily basis is, is powered through Christ. The third one is that I'm united with Christ in everything that I do, no matter what it is. It's with Christ. And the fourth one, the one that is part of the body of Christ, so the believing community. So recognizing that being a part of a, a community of believers is incredibly important to our walk, to my walk with Christ, and I am united with those things. So it's the one that belongs to Christ. It's the one that lives in the sphere of Christ's power. And it's the one that is united with Christ. And it's one that is in the body of Christ. Paul's assumption here is that if you are in any of those things, but probably all four of those things, your life will be dramatically changed. Your, life, your relationships are going to be clearly different if you are in Christ. Your purpose is going to be clearly different if you are in Christ. The way you handle your business is clearly different. It's clearly changed. The way you spend your money is going to change. I say this to my students a lot in the youth group. Like, if you were to hang out in public and nobody knows you, and they would think the same of you, with your unbeliever friend, and they would think the same of you entirely, like if your habits and what you do with your daily basis is no different than your unbelieving, non-believing friend, like you're probably missing something, right? Like if... Like, if you're, if you're doing drugs with your friends, but you claim to be a Christian, you're, you're probably missing something. Being in Christ, it dramatically changes us. It doesn't make us better. It doesn't make us holier. Right? It doesn't make us more of a status. But it makes us different. And it makes us different. And so once again... When someone is like, hey, you're different, you say it's because of Christ. It's because I'm in Christ. New creation. Uh, in Greek, this piece is literally, uh, like if you were to read it in the Greek text, it, it just says new creation. It says kanos katesis, new creation. So if you read it in Greek, you, you wouldn't necessarily see that he is a new creation. You would just see new creation. So the, the subject and the verb for our English is, is supplied, and, and through uh, the translations, there's basically, there's two different ways to translate this. It's, he is a new creation, this is ESV, and then in NRSV, it says, there is a new creation. And so it's applying that the, a new situation has come into being. Paul never uses the term katesis, though, and he never, he never applies it to a singular person. Anytime he ever uses it, it's always, it's within Jewish apocalyptic texts. It's this, he never refers to an individual person, but rather what he is referring to is, is this overarching, what God is doing. So this new creation and this new being, like he, Christ is bringing all things back to him eventually. 
Right, so we look at God and, and we see that God is outside of time, right? And we see the, the beginning and the end and God's outside of time and he can see at any point in time that he wants. And we believe that this new creation and the new heaven is, 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 is coming to us some way, somehow. And we, so once again, it's not a singular, I'm a new creation, right? It's not, it's all about me, right? But rather, it's not about me, but rather it's about what God and Christ is doing with all eternity. And it's recognizing that I am just a small piece. I get, I'm privileged just to be a, in a small piece of God's plan in this incredible thing that he is doing with all of creation, that I have a small role in it. I have a small piece. Once again, it's this lesser view of one's own importance. So yes, it is a new creation of, of you personally by being in Christ, and it's totally changing. But it, it's more. Is that God loves God loves me, and I'm privileged to be in such a huge picture of what he is doing with all eternity. Makes you feel small, right? I hope. I hope I was able to give you a picture of how small we really are. The old has passed away. Uh, this phrase can be interpreted to refer to the old order of, of, way, of, th of how things were done, or everything that controlled the individual's pre-Christian existence. So all of our past mistakes, our past decisions, right, all these things that can control us, when Christ comes into our lives, the old has passed away. The old is gone. We don't have to be controlled by our own past. We don't have to be controlled by our own mistakes. But the old has passed away. Once again, I think parenthood has just given me, you know, it's definitely worked on my patience, uh, <laughs> but it's just given me such a beautiful picture of this. And what I mean by that is um, I, I feel the grace of God in my life, the love of God in my life, when I realize that I, I don't have to be like my dad, right? Now, my dad, my, my, my relationship with my dad has come full circle. It's been incredible to see how God has worked in it. But from age like birth to 22, our relationship was miserable. It was miserable. And the reason why, the more I realized, the reason why it was miserable is because my dad's parents, who didn't love Jesus, right, they, they just passed on all of their demons to my dad. And I, I don't really know where my dad stands with Christ either. But it was, in, it was in childhood when all of these things were being attempted to be passed on to me. Like my dad's parents' demons haunted him because there was no Christ. There was no Holy Spirit. And so for the longest time, I didn't want to be a dad. For now, I knew I wanted children. But I didn't want to be a dad because I didn't want to be like my dad. I didn't want to pass on my dad's demons who he passed on to me and pass on to my daughter. I don't want to be that person. 
But the grace of God is incredible. The love of God is powerful. Amen? Amen. And realizing that if I am in, in Christ, I am a new creation. And it's going to change everything that I do. And it's going to change everything that I'm about. And it doesn't make me a perfect person. It's not necessarily going to make me a better dad. It might, hopefully will make me a godlier dad. But in being, becoming more like Christ, I don't have to pass on my demons. And it is by the grace of God, the more and more I dig into him, making him priority number one, right, the better husband I'm going to be. The better father I'm going to be. The better coworker I'm going to be. The better youth pastor I'm going to be. And being in Christ radically changes who I am. I also say this to the students a lot. Right? It's not like being one of those super weird, hyper-spiritual Christian people, right? That's not what I want you to be. Like, it's like, I don't know. The waiter comes to the, to the table and says, here, have some water. And you say, hey, did you know Jesus is the water of life, right? <laughs> you, don't, you don't have to be that weird, hyper-spiritual, Jesus is everything, all the time, everywhere. That's not what we're called to be. But rather, we're called to be in Christ and be that person who does point people to Jesus. And be that person of when people ask you for help, you give them spiritual help in the sense of, hey, let me tell you what God says. Let me tell you how God has worked in my own life, right? It's being that person of integrity. It's being that person of, listen, let me tell you how God has worked in my life. Let me tell you how I don't have, I'm not controlled by my past mistakes. Let me tell you how I'm not controlled by how I was raised. Let me tell you what Christ has done in my life. And that's not being the weird and hyper-spiritual person. That's being a follower of Christ. And finally, the fourth statement, he says, Behold, the new has come. Uh, behold is a word that is ordinarily used by biblical writers to mark like an, an unusual moment or deed. So in, in Revelation 21, it says, Behold, I make things I make all things new. And further down the road in 2 Corinthians, Paul's interpretation of Isaiah 49 says, Behold, now is the time of God's favor. Behold, now is the day of salvation. So when we are radically changed in Christ, our values, our relationships, our outlooks, our behavior, in ways that can only change because of Christ. Right? There's, there's things that change about us that if we humanly tried to do, we'd never, we'd never be able to. But in ways that we have been changed and molded and used by God, that is clear works of God. You can probably think of some clear works of God in your life. I hope. <laughs> you can probably say, man, if I, if I didn't have Christ, this would not be possible. When we aren't slaves to our past, we know that we are a part of this massive picture, right? This new creation that Christ has made for us. It brings to light, right? This idea of like, hey, what is our purpose? What is our purpose? And our purpose is God's glory. It's pointing people to Jesus. It's doing whatever you do for the glory of God. 
Like we like to overcomplicate it and be like, okay, if I can just figure out God's purpose for my life, if I can figure out God's will for my life, right? We look at it like a needle in a haystack, right? We're like going through the haystack, trying to find it. Like, okay, if I can, and we become obsessed with it and all of life is just passing us by and all these opportunities to share the love of God with people are just passing us by. And all these ways of becoming godlier as a husband and as a parent, they're just passing us by because we're consumed with, okay, if I can just figure out what God's will is for me. If I can just figure out what his purpose is. And we overcomplicate it. But rather, our purpose, God's purpose, God's will for our lives is to do anything for the glory of God for him and in him. And so if you're a school teacher, teach for the glory of God. The way you treat your students, the way you treat your coworkers, do it for the glory of God. If you are an accountant, crunch those numbers <laughs> for the glory of God. If you are a business owner, the way you handle your business with high integrity, the way you treat your employees like nobody else does, you do it for the glory of God. Whatever you do, you do for the glory of God. Now, that statement, there is some things that you can't do for the glory of God. And we're not going to get into all that. But there's some common sense things that you can't do for the glory of God. Like, if you follow it up with the glory of God and you feel like you're going to get struck by lightning, it probably means you can't do it. Like, I'm going to go smoke weed for the glory of God. Like, you're going to get zapped, right? <laughs> or I'm going to go cheat on my wife for the glory of God. No, it, it, that's not how it works. There's the common sense things there. But rather, it's looking at your life and your gifts and your abilities that God has given to you. So being powered in Christ and saying, I am going to do this for him. Not overcomplicating it, not being over-spiritual, but just looking at what God has given you and saying and asking yourself, how can, how can I do this for him? I'm only going to be a good youth pastor if I'm doing it for the glory of God. I'm not, you know, I, I have abilities. I have gifts, I believe. But it's all, it's all worthless if it's all about me. It all falls short if I'm doing it for myself. But rather, I'm in Christ and I'm doing it for Christ, for the glory of God. Christ's love, it gives us a new way of life. It gives us humility, right? So the low view of one's own importance. It gives us this idea of, of, of others are more important than my own needs and my own wants. And what I, what I see, like I, what I perceive to be what I actually need or what I actually want. It's rather just saying, you know what? Christ is more important than all of that. Others needs are more important than mine. It gives us a missional love of seeing people and reaching the lost, reaching Oregon City for the cause of Christ, because Christ didn't die for just us or for those here in this church. But Christ died for all. And so this new way of life, it, it gives us this missional kind of love of just everything I do, how can I reach people? 
And it gives us a purpose. It, like, it, it gives us such a freedom in our purpose, right? It gives us the free will of, of, of choosing different things or going in different directions or, or moving different places. But all in the name of Christ. And all doing it in the name of Christ. And that's our purpose. Are you truly living a life for Christ by living with Christ? Is it marked with humility, with missional love, with freedom of purpose? Or is it riddled with selfish ambitions over what we perceive our needs to be? A disdain for other people and how they need to bend into what we want them to be or what we need them to be. With the stress of just not being fulfilled by what we've chosen to do with our lives. Or by decisions that we've made. Is it marked with humility, missional love, and purpose? Christ coming into the world, it changed all of history. Without no Christ, there is no Christianity, there is no cross. It's changed everything. But has it changed you? Does it go past more than just knowledge and understanding? You can't live a life for Christ without living with Christ. And so, church, I would, I would implore you to live a life with Christ. There is, no, there is no better life with him. It doesn't mean you never go through things. It doesn't mean you go through valleys or mountaintops or anything. That's not a promise. There is no promise of, of no hard times. But in those hard times, in those relationships, in those times of question, right, there's no better place to be rather than in Christ. And living, with, and living with him. So Pastor Matt is going to come up here. We're going to do communion. We're going to, we're going to worship. I, I would just encourage you, I would encourage you to think about this during communion. Remembering and realizing what Christ has done for you, but why? And how has that changed your life?